0: Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle-enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and wellstarthealth.com. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a happy and healthy life. So today's guest is Lauren Plunkett, whom I just met recently um, over the internet, and I'm thrilled to say she is the newest member of the Well Care team. She is a registered dietitian. She is, of course, evidence-based, which is to say plant-based, and she is a bundle of energy and positivity and science, and she is a healthy individual who's been living with type 1 diabetes for about two and a half decades, and she is a shining example of the power of lifestyle to improve our quality of life. She was diagnosed at the age of 11, and she struggled for years to feel good and have the energy to do what she wanted to do. And so she decided to go on a mission to learn everything she could about nutrition and health, because what she had been learning from uh, diabetes educators and from healthcare professionals wasn't doing it for her. And once she discovered plant-based nutrition, she knew she had found the key to thriving with diabetes, whether type one or type two, which is reducing insulin resistance as much as possible. And of course, this is a scientifically validated approach, but it also puts her at odds with, uh, with the then diabetes education paradigm, and sad to say, the still extant current diabetes education paradigm of carb counting and carbophobia and don't eat fruit and avoid potatoes and all that. So we had a great talk. We discussed her journey, her work with the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, and her mission to become the teacher she never had. And as a bonus, we talk about how much and why she hates pudding. So before we get started, a couple of things. One is the Well Start Health program begins again on Monday, to July 29th, 2019. So um, it's a brand new cohort. We're including scales and cuffs, scales and blood pressure cuffs that are Bluetooth enabled that connect with the platform. It's a really fun, easy way to kind of hold yourself accountable and mean business to look at the numbers. You know, if you were an entrepreneur and you started a business and you never looked at your profit and loss, we'd say, well, you're not really that serious. It's a hobby. And if you are hoping to get healthy and you never look at your numbers, your blood pressure, your weight, if those are relevant numbers for you, then you're probably not that serious. So we make it easier to become more serious, to be part of a community that takes this seriously. Today, I did a Facebook Live. If you go to plant yourself on Facebook, um, you can see it. And it was the three magic words that that bring us from vague desire, vague intention to an action plan with teeth. And those three words are what by when, as in what do I want to achieve and by when do I want to achieve it? So taking care of those numbers is really, really important if you want to turn your health destiny around to take control of the steering wheel of of your health. So if you want to check it out, you know where to go. Wellstarthealth.com forward slash program And the 12 week program starts on July 29th. And here's who do really well with the program. Number one, you got to believe in plant-based nutrition or at least be open to it. Number two, you have to be willing to try new approaches if the old approaches haven't been working. And I don't care how many times you've failed or fallen off the wagon or gave up on a diet or dropped out of the gym program or stopped going to spin class. That doesn't interest me. What interests me is, are you willing to entertain new ideas, new thoughts, new mindsets um, if so, then this is a good fit. Number three, you've got to be comfortable with technology, at least to the point of being able to use a smartphone and do video calls and text and all that stuff. And number four, you have to be willing to work with a group because we're not an individual program. It's a cohort based program. We believe in the power of community. So if those four things are true for you, check us out wellstarthealth.com slash program. And finally, I have been doing daily Facebook Lives for the past four days, and I'm planning on doing them every day. So if you want to see them, just become a fan of the Plant Yourself page on Facebook, and you'll get notified whenever I turn on that camera and start sharing um, thoughts, tips, tricks, interviews with interesting people uh, on a daily basis. So and uh, let people know about that as well. All right, so let's talk about type 1 diabetes and how to live and thrive with it. Without further ado, Lauren Plunkett, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast.
1: Hi, Howard. Thank you for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. It's great to get to meet you. We're, we're, we're sort of working together now, right?
1: Yes, yes. I'm super excited about that. As um, one of your dietitians with Wellstart.
0: Yeah, yeah. So... Let's let's start with your story because I've been on your website, which is oh, don't tell me lpnutritionconsulting.com? dot com. Yeah, got, got it. Yeah. And so I was, you know, looking at the at the beautiful food pics, but I always like to kind of understand people's stories when they when they are in a you know professional helping capacity. Like what brought them there. So you definitely come to this as a wounded warrior.
1: <laughs> That's a perfect right? way. To- Put it yeah in a, a learned warrior um, a stumble and fall and get back up again warrior
0: <laughs> yeah so so tell us your story let's let's start with the first thing you remember yeah.
1: <laughs> the first thing I remember well um, gosh when it comes to type 1 I always say that that was my rebirth um, so how, was
0: ag- how old were you I was 11 uh-huh
1: yeah so you know life before that was all about riding your bike and um, going to school and try not to get in trouble. And then all of a sudden you get uh, diagnosed with the disease that almost completely takes you out because you can't eat anything. All you're doing is peeing and drinking water um, and you don't know what's going on. So when I was diagnosed, it was um, three days spent in the hospital, IV, insulin, the works, followed by a whole bunch of education with myself and my family. Um, And
0: so, how how long were you sick, or did you know you were sick before the diagnosis? And that sort of you know weird, what the heck is going on? Period.
1: Yeah, that was interesting. I would come home. Well, so I was diagnosed. I think sometime at the end of September, October. I'm one of those rare people with type one that doesn't know her diagnosis date. I have no idea when uh- it was. It was sometime before Halloween, but. Um, you know, I was in diabetic ketoacidosis at that time, so I, my brain took a while for that to come back. But my parents were on to me. I would um, come home from school. So school would have started early September. My snack when I came home was a can of Coke, Coca-Cola, and a Crunch Bar, Nestle Crunch Bar. So I had chocolate and Coke as a 3 p.m. snack when I came home from school, and I was losing weight like crazy. So something was wrong. I was drinking. I remember sucking on the water fountain in sixth grade. Like I couldn't walk away from it for 10 minutes before I needed more fluid. And my folks took me into our family practice doctor and did a blood sugar check. And I remember her saying, I'm so sorry. She has diabetes. Mm. Um, You're going to the children's hospital to get get admitted.
0: Okay. And so let's, uh, let's interplay with, um, with the, the science of it. So you said ketoacidosis. What's that?
1: So uh, diabetic ketoacidosis, or or DKA as most of us just abbreviate that, is when your body is essentially eating itself alive. And it's looking for every source of glucose that it possibly can get. But the problem with type 1 diabetes is we aren't producing any insulin to take that sugar into our cells to then turn that sugar into energy. All we're doing is um, having all of this sugar trapped in our bloodstream that can't move out of it. So our our body starts to become very acidic in the process. And um, we're a world that is throwing the word uh, ketosis around like crazy. This is a situation where to understand ketosis is to know that your body is literally eating itself alive. It's looking for your fat sources, your protein sources, everything in your lean tissue so it can use it for your brain.
0: Uh-huh. So, so your brain doesn't need insulin to to use this emergency fuel, use fats, proteins,
1: well, your brain still needs insulin, but yes, your brain can run on ketones to uh-huh. continue to operate and to keep you alive. So you start losing weight and um, that's what will kill somebody with type one is diabetic ketoacidosis.
0: I see. And um, sorry, we'll, we'll get back to the story, but mm-hmm. I'm following, following a rabbit hole here. What's the difference <laughs> between ketoacidosis, which sounds terrible, and mm-hmm. ketosis, which is the most popular thing on the planet right now?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, there's definitely a difference here when you are uh, putting your body into ketosis, that's a process of using fat for fuel. And we do that throughout the day at certain times when we're exercising and and it's okay to a certain amount to a certain extent to be burning ketones to be burning fat. But it is an acidic byproduct of burning down those triglycerides. So we don't want to have this stuff sitting inside of us for too long. People who don't have type 1 diabetes can now produce insulin to help move this through the body to help absorb blood sugars. So your blood sugar isn't elevating like crazy at the same time as you are producing ketones. And eventually your blood sugar is regulated and ketones are not a problem. But when you're in DKA, this ketoacidosis, you can't regulate your blood sugar hmm that's where this elevation comes from so now your blood sugars are super high and you continue to burn fat like crazy because your cells aren't getting any sugar so it wants more fat it wants it continues to keep you in acidosis so that it can try to keep your brain running mm. on this acidic fuel source
0: uh-huh and so you your experience of it at the time of the diagnosis was there were certain things that you were eating and drinking that were just felt like compulsions
1: well, you eat and you don't hold anything on your bones. Um, everything is just the nutrients that are what you're losing. So your body wants to hold on to as much sugar as it can. It thinks you need more of that sugar, yet at the same time, you're not absorbing any of it. So the only place for that nutrient to go is through the urine, and you're going to get rid of it.
0: I see. So what were, what were you deficient in, do you know?
1: Oh, gosh, everything, I <laughs> think. At the time, my my memory... of of being an 11 year old kid in a hospital bed was that, um, they were really on top of me at that time. It was 1993. And, um, you know, the stay in the hospital these days, isn't quite the same as what it was then, but they're checking your blood sugars every single hour. They've got you on an IV drip to try to get you down to those normal levels and get, get you to the point where you're no longer in that DKA status. And I had thin hair, a really thin body, no energy, Um, I wanted to eat all the time and I really needed fluids because everything was going through me and nothing was taking. So those are all the telltale signs of having having type one still to this day. Those are all the same signs, but you're knocking on death's door if you don't get that insulin in you as soon as possible.
2: Hmm.
0: Okay. So, so you went to the hospital, they kept you there for three days, gave you, it was an an insulin IV trip.
1: Yeah. Insulin huh.
0: So what happened in the hospital when you started getting insulin? What was that experience like?
1: Oh, I was so hungry. I was this starving animal. <sighs> um, you know, I, I, I knew, you know, your body speaks to you. And if we would only listen and my body was saying, you need nutrition, you need vitamins, you need minerals, you need this now. And um, all I needed was to take in, you know, carb counting is then the process that they teach you and they want to give you carbohydrates now because you're getting insulin. So you're, you're now getting insulin so you can take the glucose that those carbohydrates are broken into into your cells to start using that for energy. Now, metabolically, everything is starting to level out and make sense. Then your energy lifts. Then your appetite starts to come to you and you start operating like a healthy human being once again. Um, so I, I remember anything you could give me, I was going to eat.
0: Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, um, so at, the, at, at that point, you are given a new lifestyle, right? It's not just like there's a lot of diseases where okay, you've got this disease, you got to be careful about this, you got to take a pill. But the mm-hmm. like, type one diabetes is like a, a profession,
1: isn't it? <laughs> it's a job. It is. Um, you know, I've joked that since I became a dietitian and a diabetes educator, that I would prefer to have my titles as RD, CDE, T1D. Because you live and breathe type one diabetes, at um, it, it a certain at the point that I've come to now is to be able to understand metabolism on a deeper level, to understand sports nutrition on a deeper level, um, and just the the natural functions of the body. I am so grateful to have insulin that I'm not going to throw that away by eating terrible and not exercising. How, however you only know what you what you know, you don't know what you don't know. And that is then where my story ended up becoming very real. Um, once I realized how much I didn't know, but that that new lifestyle that you now have, your parents are so worried about you. Um, today, actually, the, the latest statistics are that um, the average age of type one diabetes is now 25. And it just blows my mind because it was always juvenile onset diabetes. This was a good thing.
0: So what's, what's, what's causing this? Because it's like type 2 diabetes is, is like switching.
1: Yeah. Right? So, it, so
0: what's causing the later onset?
1: I, it's, you know My answer to that, well, it's autoimmune, so we don't really know what's going on. And what I always say is, what do humans need? We need air, we need food, and we need water. So those three things in common, as contaminated as they can be, as environmentally damaged as our food can be, I think our food is probably something to look at here. Um, but it's our lifestyle. It is absolutely our lifestyle. However, we will see seven-month-old babies get type one diabetes. But again, it's autoimmune, so there's something going on within our immunity that is turning off those that cellular function to make insulin. So mm-hmm. it's 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 not answerable. But my way of answering this is through lifestyle choices. And you know, I don't think I drew the shortest straw. I really think that when you're diagnosed with type one diabetes. Your attitude is everything. You have to live positively in here or else you're just accepting this as something that's going to be sad and hard and defeating. And my method for teaching these days is is let's turn this into our advantage. Let's learn about our bodies and take it to the next level because now we know way more about our bodies than most people do that don't have type one at all. Mm. That's what you're capable of doing. But when you start getting education and you're newly diagnosed, as I had said, your parents are worried, everybody's concerned about you. Um, it's really easy to fall into the dark side of that and feel sad and bummed. And oh, man, I got to take shots all the time. Mm. Or I have to test my blood sugar, I have to wear medical devices. Oh, this is so sad.
0: Mm. So what, what, apparently one of your pet peeves is the way healthcare professionals talk about type one diabetics. Right. So it seems like that there's that there's a sort of um, an unconscious language uh, based on a mindset that can actually feed into these feelings of I'm different, broken, separate, um, Mm -hmm. put upon.
1: In general, um, it is it's in movies, it's on TV, it is constant. And that that goes into type two diabetes big time. Um, you know it's gosh, don't eat that cake, you're gonna get diabetes. I don't think that's funny and I don't think that's cute whatsoever because if you really understand how people mentally feel when they're diagnosed with diabetes, no matter what type it is, it is can be heartbreaking for them and it depends on the system at which they are diagnosed into and how good the education is, which across the world is up and down. It is not the same in value um, and we all deserve the same education but i I have heard, um, some very interesting comments just about about what um, people type 1 diabetes live like um, and again it is diabetes in general but because I have type 1 I, I take that most to heart and I, there are some things that um, I really dread hearing and it's it's in the it's in a attempt to sympathize but if you are an adult and you're before a child or a teenager who's got a lot going through their heads at the time and you say, I know diabetes sucks, but
2: Mm.
1: we don't say that ever, ever. Even with me having type one, I think the appropriate language there is to say, hey, you're having a hard day. I have them too. But guess what we're going to do? We're going to toughen up right now. We're going to learn from this and we're going to get better tomorrow. Can we agree to do that together? Instead of someone who doesn't have type one diabetes to say to another person that does have it, I know it sucks. (laughs) Mm. Um, We have to clean that up. And we have to make it sound like, um, hey, you know what? Type one is not a death sentence. Let's move forward.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of uh, like, you know, hum, human interaction 101 is don't assume you know what the other person is feeling or what their experience is.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: think, you know, when, so we're, when we're in the presence of something that makes us uncomfortable, mm-hmm. we, we very often just like, we're just trying to take care of ourselves.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, it's, it's interesting how people perceive what's going on. I think they internalize a lot of what they would think having type one diabetes is like, but from child to adult, it's vastly different. Um, I've provided education for, for new children who are diagnosed. You see something very interesting with children. They kind of go, well, do I get to wear an insulin pump now? Those look kind of cool. What do I need to do now? Oh, I, I see, I see. And um, I've seen tears from children. But I've seen way more tears out of parents than I have children. So when it comes to appropriate language, we need parents to say, hey, kiddo, we're going to get through this. Um, We're going to be strong together and you're going to be you're going to be tough. You're not going to skip soccer practice. You're not we're not going to skip our vacation. We're going to go out. We're going to be real and we're going to do everything we always meant to do together. But I oftentimes see adults being the ones that say, how am I going to cope? How am I going to deal with this? And and children are awesome when it comes to being diagnosed, and they want to hear you say, "You're tough. We're going to we're going to do this."
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, a Mm -hmm. phrase I've heard in the past year was I've never heard before is uh, "snowplow parenting," Mm -hmm. right? Where they want to smooth everything out for the kid, Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: it seems like. If, I, if my kid were diagnosed with something, I would think it's responsible to err on the side of, you know, maybe we should quit soccer this year. Maybe that's going to be a little bit too much for you. Why don't we try, you know, chess club? Um, but that doesn't help, does it?
1: I have heard exactly what you just said many, many times. And I've heard the, the complete other end of the spectrum. But I only heard the end of the spectrum when I decided to start sharing personally that I'm also type one. Um, I would share with kids that, you know, I played sports in high school. Things weren't easy, but I learned how to do now what I should have done then. And and I, I'm very open with them about, hey, I teach I teach cycling classes. I go for runs regularly. Um, you can do this. And that's why I'm here to teach you. And I just see these eyes. these, And I see the parents do this. <sighs> <Huh. laughs> so, you know, I've been pulled aside by parents to say I've, I've never heard anyone so excited about type one before. And they'll say that to me. i will say, hey why not? I, we're living our lives. We're here. We're good. I mean, how did, would you want me to?
0: Yeah. I mean, we're, we're in the 21st century. We figured out how to synthesize insulin
1: mm-hmm.
0: like a hundred years <laughs> ago. I agree with you. This would have sucked. Right.
1: Yeah. A hundred years ago, this would have been a different story to tell, but, um, we have to be resilient and adaptable. And I, it, the adaptation is kind of tough for human beings to just sort of turn that page and, and go forward. And I credit my parents like crazy. So, you know, we came home after this and, and the years go by and you go into seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, but um, it has a lot to do with my dad's teaching. And he's, he's a retired commander in the Navy and he's um, to be respected and feared and <laughs> 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 everything come along with that. But he was a yard work guy. And, and the yard was immaculate all the time. And there were leaves all over the place. And it's anybody who knows the Midwest, it's just, uh, it's hmm. never ending. And the lawn needed to be mowed and all these things. And he would make this pancake breakfast for us in the morning. And we count the carbs. And I'd take the insulin and and do everything that needed to be done. And then I'd have to go and do some yard work. And it never failed that my blood sugar would go low. That it would just drop out on me in the middle of yard work. And on one side of me, I was like, yes, I'm done. I can stop working. Uh (laughs) I'm going into the house. Now it's over. And my dad's teaching was, no, no, no. Go inside and get your juice and come right back out because we're not done. And then you're going to go ride your bike later this afternoon. I mean, it was um, there. There was no slack to be given when it came to you're going to be a normal kid. Um, And you're never going to have the mentality that you're anything other than that. Mm. So that's where my brain started to really develop into what it is today.
0: Mm. So you mentioned that like when you when you started sharing that you're type one, was there a time professionally when you weren't?
1: Could you repeat that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I said, when you, um, you mentioned that when you started sharing with kids that you were type one,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: was there a time professionally when you didn't share that?
1: Um, you know, professionally, no. When I became a dietitian and I decided, um, it's time to start talking about type one was, was the point that I had had the, I had already developed the confidence about where I was in life. But now I realized, hey, I've got some credentials here. I've done the studies, I've done the hard part. Um, I don't think I'm afraid to start talking about my story now. The easy part was saying I have type 1. The hard part was saying I'm vegan. Huh. <laughs> that was very difficult. And um, I, I actually, uh, last year, I spoke at a veg fest here in Minnesota. And I had told people that that was my coming out as being someone who's vegan, that has diabetes, who's also a dietitian. And I wasn't gonna um, take it anymore in a sense where I have heard all sorts of comments about, uh, you can't do that, that's a lot of carbs. And um, how, how can you exercise and, and only eat grains or whatever it is that, you know, you, know, you, you hear everything. Um, and my answer is, well, what if I told you it saved my life? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. What if I told you it was the best decision I ever made? And I didn't know that it was going to save my life until I started studying dietetics. Uh,
0: so you didn't go vegan until you started studying dietetics?
1: I went vegetarian about probably 11 years ago now.
0: Okay. Well, wh- why? What, what was the motivation?
1: I remember sitting with a friend at a restaurant and I I declared it out loud. I said, this is going to be the last burger I ever eat. <laughs> And I just, it was a moral, it was a moral choice. Okay. And I don't, you know, I hadn't seen any documentaries at that time. I don't remember exactly what it was that motivated me, but I knew that I could say, I prefer my animals alive. So what it was, I, I, I grew up, you know, we had out, when we were out in Washington state, we had dogs and cats and horses and they were my family. I was like, you know, we joked that mom's, my mom's um, favorite kid was the horse. I was, I was. <laughs> <a> little- <laughs> I was way after that. And um, that's that was totally acceptable. So, of course, my relationship with pets might seem a lot of weird to some people, but it's the respect that I think they deserve. And so it occurred to me that chicken doesn't make the chicken. That chicken is the chicken. So those correlations started to become consciously drawn to what our food really was. And it, about two years later is when I decided, hey, I'm going to go back to school. And I'm going to do this nutrition thing.
0: OK, but isn't it a little bit irresponsible of you to like you've already got this, you know, nutritional protocol that you have to be a 100 times more careful about than normal people? Mm-hmm. And I don't know what they were teaching then about, you know, what you should eat and what you should avoid as a type one diabetic. But, you know, carbs are evil, of course. Yeah. And, and meat is like, weren't you? Like, Weren't you worried? Like, this is, okay, great. I love animals, but this is not really responsible.
1: Well, the interesting thing is I realized at some point just before this decision that I never learned how to eat in the first place. Um, The secret here, and I'm just going to let this one out, is that I ended up working in the same diabetes clinic that I was diagnosed in. Hmm. And I saw that they still have material there that was there when I was diagnosed. And it's the food pyramid. It is a carb counting scale. And none of that is, it's not that it's not necessary, but we have evolved past that way of teaching. We need to start talking about um, what these foods are and what they mean and where to get these nutrients from versus putting these rules down. You will eat this many servings of carbohydrate and fruit and vegetables and meat per meal. And so what had happened of course, approaching my teenage years now and following this specific scale was that I had put on weight way too fast. I was eating way too much of everything. I didn't know anything about how fats would impact my body, the difference between fats and carbohydrates and protein. I knew I just needed to eat some kind of balance. And my mom would cook that way. She was pretty traditional about that. So I was fed. But then I left home, had really no idea how to feed myself and just kind of winged it. And I had had a few different doctors at that point in time and um if if there was anything I had learned up until the point where I was making this decision to go vegetarian, is that I hadn't learned anything at all as to how to save myself. Hmm. Um
0: It almost it almost sounds like you were taught like to memorize the multiplication table rather than taught how to do multiplication.
1: Exactly. And that is still happening today everywhere. Type one, type two. Um, anything when it comes to nutrition protocol for how to improve your body, say as I do, but it really needs to be. Let's learn this together. What can I teach you today? Um, you know, walking into a patient room with an agenda isn't the way to get things done. You got to work with that person and where they are, and teach them what they need um, to to go forward. Um, teach a man how to eat a carrot. Teach a man how to plant a carrot. <laughs> <laughs> So we want to plant those seeds so somebody can really use them. And so being irresponsible, responsible, you know, to go, okay, I'm going to be a vegetarian. Let's see how this goes. And I thought I was going to have to um, kind of go down slowly. I just decided this is going to be my last hamburger, but, you know, I don't know if I'm just going to be able to give up chicken and all of that other stuff right now. But because I had made a moral decision as to, I know what this food is, I haven't eaten meat since Mm. it was quite simple. And then I didn't drink much milk, um, just started going really slowly at my own pace. But what happened that was so profound was that I suddenly started to need less insulin and I had no idea what was happening. And this happened quite quickly that I wasn't concerned about being unsafe with my new food choices or that I was, choosing to go down a completely rebellious path, although that is absolutely my personality to do that, which I essentially did anyways, is go down this rebellious path to being this vegetarian diabetic. But when I started to improve the quality of my nutrition, and seeing my blood sugars improving, and then I'm starting to go low all the time, my blood sugar was just dropping low constantly, because I had too much insulin on board. Then it was like,
0: And how did you how did you know? Was this by glucose monitoring or by felt body sense or both?
1: Both. Um, So metabolically, what was happening now was that I was feeling like I had more energy because I was eating a better quality diet. So I wasn't eating meat, but I had to replace it with something. So there were more whole grains happening. There was more just fresh vegetables happening. And I was paying attention more to, um, I should eat a little bit more often here and I'm going low more often. So maybe I should eat a little bit more of this plant food that I'm starting to incorporate. But in this process of decreasing my insulin levels, I felt like, Hey, you know what? Maybe I'll go to the gym today. Maybe I'll, um, I'll start running today. I've never run in my life. I've always been afraid to run because I would go low so easy or my legs would hurt, um, which was because I was running with high blood sugar previously, and now I know better. But um, that was this amazing physical change that was happening, and I thought, man, maybe I'm just a study of one. I don't know who this is working for. Uh huh. But it's working.
0: <laughs> is is that when you decided you needed to go find out what the academy knew?
1: Well, I didn't know the academy existed at that time. Probably another year went by that I continued to exercise more often just felt like I never knew what it was like to be healthy before, you know, mental clarity. And it it had been said before, Hey, why don't you go to school for nutrition? You know, you already have type one you have so much education on nutrition already. Ha ha ha. And I thought, well, I know what a carbohydrate is. That doesn't mean I'm ready to be a dietitian and take all these chemistry classes. And I just sucked it up. Um, we, I, I had been living in New York with my now husband at the time, the recession hit, we came back to Minnesota. There's a, there's a program here at the U for nutrition and the stars aligned. And I said, all right, I'm doing it. And, um, it was the hardest thing I have ever done. And the reason why is because I had been in the real world before going back to school and being told how to look at diabetes. So <laughs> I had to marry my my personal experience with now this attempt to become a professional in this world of diabetes and that was tough.
0: Me- meaning that you were being taught things that ran counter to your N of one experience.
1: I um I was being kind of stubborn, you know. I needed yeah. to get this education going, but I also knew that what I wanted to do was counseling skills. I wanted to become the teacher that I didn't have. Mm. And I wasn't um, necessarily being groomed in that program to go in that direction. What, what, what um, were you important. being groomed to do? Well, you know, you take food science classes. You have, um, have a lab where you do uh, uh, iron tests on, on mice, which I was the only student that refused to do it. Hmm. Um, you know, certain things I just didn't agree with. And I was having some real moral issues with sitting there and going through an agriculture department when I knew it was working for me. So I had to start looking at some studies that proved that what was happening inside my body was real. Uh
0: So what, uh, I mean, what were they teaching?
1: Well, it's a lot of science. It is um, darn near a pre-med track before you would, you know, apply into um, more of a a strictly food science to go into whatever program after that and apply for med school if you wanted to. But it is, um, it's a ton of chemistry And then uh, physiology, um, uh, gosh, microbiology, which was really, that's when things started to get interesting for me. Um, One of the best classes I ever took was a metabolism class. I would say that is the best B I ever got was in metabolism. (laughs) (laughs) And I've never been a great student. I struggle with that. I want to write papers and I want to read and I want to learn that way. I'm not great at multiple choice. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, My brain just doesn't say this is wrong. This isn't wrong. This is wrong. My brain says, let's negotiate. (laughs) So that was always tough, and um, the second the second half of the four year program is when nutrition got really interesting, the science of the body. Dietitians are the smartest people, and I I'm not even tooting my own horn because I've met many dietitians that are way up here above me. I'm I'm a little more specific I would say, but there are dietitians that are just mind-blowingly intelligent about the body. Um, And if you ever meet a dietitian that works in a wound clinic, a a burn clinic, they began learning how to work with tube feedings and keeping somebody alive and regrowing their skin in school. Mm -hmm. So it is a process of learning to be able to work at an inpatient level and to communicate with doctors and other um, um, staff that are going to be around you to help keep the patient alive. But it's not so much on how to prevent the patient from getting there in the first place.
0: Uh, So they're smart in the same way that doctors are smart
1: way smarter.
0: (laughs) But I mean, like, like they learn, they learn the science, you know, the science of the body, the science of pathology, and how to intervene when things are wrong. But they're not they they don't ask the question, why do things go wrong?
1: Right? Yeah. You know, when it comes to uh, dietitians, it's going to be that they're so strong in nutrition. Um, But I'm, I'm no more a surgeon than a surgeon is a dietitian. So our paths are, of course, going to separate at a certain point. Um, But when you have dietitians that work on a um, digestive floor, they are going to to know just as much as those doctors know to be able to communicate to other staff as to how to help that patient. And that's where you start to realize that dietitians are absolute encyclopedias when you get to sit in front of one of them within an inpatient Mm -hmm. setting.
0: Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, you diverge from most dietitians in how you teach people to navigate diabetes one and two and how to how to eat healthy. So isn't there some cognitive dissonance there? Like these are the smartest people in the world, the most knowledge about science, about the human body, and they're all wrong.
1: Well, they're they're not they're they're not wrong. They are um, treating the patient. I would prefer to treat the patient on an educational level. So, um, I, I work with the juvenile diabetes research foundation and they're big on let's find a cure. And, um, I'm a, I'm an exercise specialist with them and I've, I've gone around the country to a few different locations to talk about exercise and type one diabetes. And it's not that our mission to try to find a cure is wrong, but we have to live for today we have to live for right now and try to do everything that we can to educate a person so they have a really good quality of life to try to prevent them from becoming that inpatient that then an extremely intelligent dietitian is going mm-hmm. to try to discharge
2: from mm-hmm.
1: from that situation that they're in
2: right.
1: and diabetes in itself is full of um the warning of complications so we're always worried about um circulatory issues our eyes our kidneys digestive i mean everything could go wrong with the person that has type 1 or type 2 diabetes the problem is is they often as as the patient have to get there before they decide that it's time to start intervening with lifestyle Mm -hmm. medicine
0: okay But, but but even I want to push this a little bit, though, because even when they're ready to, for an intervention, aren't most dietitians going to tell them the wrong thing, the wrong way to eat? They're going to say, I mm-hmm. mean, you know, everything I hear is, you know, it's carbs. Mm-hmm. You've got to you've got to cut out the, the carbs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we go back to the clinic. So um, you go into the clinic every three, six, nine months, maybe, depending on how uh, your intervention is going when it comes to. Um, your your drive to get your blood sugars under good control. And I'm talking about diabetes across uh, the spectrum here, type one, type two, gestational diabetes, anything that we've got here. The old way of teaching is not the old way to everyone, Um, but it needs to start being looked at that way. And it is that carbohydrates are the problem. Um, The type of carbohydrate is what we need to start talking about and educating on to say to people, you can have rice and beans and broccoli, That is a beautiful meal, but let me tell you why. Let's talk about fiber. That's not really what I hear happening. What I hear happening is that you need to control those carbohydrates so that you can take a certain amount of insulin per meal. And why I think this teaching is sending people down the wrong path is because we're not feeding the person now, we're feeding the diabetes. And we're people first. You need to feed the machine, feed feed the human being. Um, let's feed that human being to have enough energy so that they can exercise and eat balanced food, a fiber-rich diet that decreases insulin resistance. And now we're talking.
0: Wait, you just said something that I think is really important that I didn't understand, which is the difference between feeding the person and feeding the diabetes. Can you slow that down for me? Because it sounds big and I didn't get it.
1: Yes, I say that to my, um, to my, within, within my presentations all the time to a room of people with type 1. So if you don't have type 1 <laughs> diabetes, um, what this means is that we're being taught that everything is about having a great A1C. So hemoglobin A1C is this measurement that's taken every three months, or excuse me, it's not taken every three months, but it will let you know over the course of three months what your average blood sugars are doing. And it's a percentage. So if we are under 7%, we're doing great. Um, And that is going to be for an adult. Kids might be a little bit higher than that. However, we can be in the sixth percentile with A1C and be extremely healthy. And um, that's still higher than a person who doesn't have type 1 diabetes. Um, So if we are feeding the diabetes, we're constantly eating to try to get a perfect A1C this perfection mentality of having a great A1C. So that means we better control those carbohydrates so we just take less insulin. That must be what this is about. So that's where high fat diets come into play or these all protein diets come into play where it seems like insulin is the bad guy here because if we take more of that, that must have something to do with our blood sugar being too high and therefore food is, food's the problem. The carbs are the problem. So that's feeding the diabetes, is that we aren't feeding the person's needs. We're always just eating in order to get good blood sugar control. But we can mm-hmm. do both.
0: So it's the difference between studying for the test and learning the material. You got it. That You can do both. But yes, studying for the true. test doesn't mean you remember the material in three days after the test. Right.
1: right. So if you've got, you know, I'm just going to eat to have good blood sugar over here. And you have, I'm going to eat um, because I, I run 20 miles a week, and I'm going to try to feed myself as an athlete over here. We need to be right down the middle uh, to be able to fuel that person accordingly. That is an athlete, and also have good blood sugar control at the other end of the spectrum. Okay.
0: Um, now the big debate when I when I see you know people like uh, Peter Atia you know, talking about diabetes and versus the plant based community, it seems to me that the, that the big debate is whether insulin resistance is the key measure or whether blood sugar is the key measure. And I have trouble understanding how people could think that the blood sugar is the problem as opposed to the symptom of of insulin resistance. You know, the way the way I thought about it was like if I have a blocked up toilet in my house, I can either plunge it or I can just stop peeing in it. And, <laughs> and both of those will will serve the same purpose of keeping the water clean. Mm-hmm. But one of them solves the problem.
1: Yes. And um, my philosophy is let's find out what you need as a person. And what we'll do is to take an adequate amount of insulin to meet the needs of that human being. That's what we need to do first. You need carbohydrates. And here's why. Um You know, one-on-one, everybody has individual needs based on their age, their height, their activity level, the weight that they want to be. Let's figure out how many carbohydrates you need, how much protein you need during a day. Oh, do you lift weights? Okay, we're gonna look at these calculations and what a healthy amount of fat would be based on how many calories you eat in a day. Not a lot of people get this education, and this is this is so important. This is the stuff that everybody deserves to learn about themselves given the body that they currently have or the body they want to have, they should know how to feed it and not be told, eat this, eat this, eat this. And don't ask any questions. Mm-hmm. Teach you how to feed yourself. It begins at the grocery store as well. So insulin resistance is the foundation of what's going on here. Um, type People type one diabetes can be very insulin resistant as well. As somebody with type 2 that's where you're going to see these a1c's bouncing all over the place um, and you'll see kids they're really insulin resistant they're taking a ton of insulin they're um, quite heavy and they're not active so they essentially have this lifestyle of someone that you might see diagnosed with type 2 has but they don't make any insulin at all so we can treat someone who has insulin resistance that with type 1 the same way as someone with insulin resistance, it has type two. We can feed them the same way and get a good outcome.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Gotcha.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so when when you work with um, with adults who are now getting, you know, like, so the average age was twenty five or
2: it um, a, a diagnosis. A yeah.
0: diagnosis um, is. Is that their first autoimmune disease typically, or do they already have like Hashimoto's or, or rheumatoid arthritis, and then this is just like another layer?
1: Good question. Sometimes um, you might see celiac disease first. You might see celiac disease come after someone is diagnosed with type one. You could see rheumatoid arthritis. You could see lupus um, and Hashimoto's for sure. Thyroid uh, uh, hypothyroid is quite common in people with type one diabetes. Um, and so, again, with talking about how we might feed our body to be less insulin resistant, it's the same type of food that's going to help alleviate some of these other, con- other conditions. When I was my last lab draw, before I started really focusing on eating plant-based, I had elevated cholesterol and I was getting real close to Hashimoto's diagnosis. I've even come close to Hashimoto's since um, I went plant-based. And my cholesterol has gone way down. I mean, it wasn't extremely elevated to begin with, but it was too high for for a kid in her, her early 20s. And I say kid. I was a kid in my early 20s. that knew nothing. <laughs> mm. So um, it was the food that completely changed my course in life.
0: Gotcha. And I guess if you talk about celiac as being a very common first autoimmune disease, that really mm. reinforces the carbs are bad story in people's minds, right? It's like, Wheat tried to kill me.
1: Yes, right. And um, the thing with gluten that I think is interesting is that if someone chooses that they're not going to eat gluten anymore, that is fine. But what are we going to eat instead? There are so many grains out there that don't contain any gluten. This is part of the teaching with someone that has celiac disease that is now severely allergic to gluten is that we've got all sorts of different rice and quinoa and couscous and grains and seeds. Um, buckwheat, there are other choices here when it comes to eating those grains. So again, let's talk about carbs. There's chips and cookie and candy. And then there's all these beautiful whole grains over here that are fiber rich. This is the stuff we want to put in our bodies to start changing things. And you're going to feel a lot fuller and you're going to crave less sugar if you eat these types of carbohydrates.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So so when you work with these adults, what are the big challenges? <laughs>
1: Fad diets, <laughs> fad diets across the board. Um, it is very interesting how we have complicated our food system and mentality about what healthy food is. It is, um, you know, I I, I recommend. I've, I've said fiber, my favorite f word. I've used it several times already. Fiber, and I that is the, the basis of my teaching for anyone that I see, no matter what where they're at in life. And, um, if I say to someone that let's say they want to lose weight, okay, let's take a look at your, your whole grains, beans, veggies, and fruit intake. How are you doing there? Well, I don't really like veggies. I eat fruit once in a while. Um, you know, grains, I stay away from that. I'll never eat pasta. And, and, you know, I hear that same thing over and over again, say, well, let's, let's talk about fiber. And they say, can't I just take a supplement? Mm. And I said, well, are you having digestive problems? then we might need to talk about that. But um, you're having those problems because you're not eating any fiber. And I want you to eat your way to a healthier body, not swallow those pills. That's not going to help anything at all. But what's noticeable is that because of social media, because those that are not experts definitely scream the loudest are being heard. Um, the cover of magazines that you see at Whole Foods even, and they have, I don't even want to say the K word. I don't even want to say say it, but you know, the, the diet fads that are just sprayed all over the place, we're being conditioned to believe that that's what we have to do to be healthy. We've completely yeah. forgot that all this stuff that grows out of the earth is amazing for us. I'd rather you eat dirt than eat a keto diet. <laughs> <laughs> if you have, and it's probably healthier. Um, if, especially if you have diabetes, let's not play that game. Let's learn again about the macronutrients that you need for your particular system And get you to start making some energy again. Because right now you don't have any. And that is like, I have lit lit somebody on fire. The look on their face is just, you want me to eat what? Because all they heard was grains and beans. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I have to eat that. And then I, I will teach them how to make this fiber rich taco. And then I tell them you can eat two of them. And then I see that there's excitement starting to brew. But the beautiful thing is you're... You're teaching someone something they never knew before that they deserved to learn decades ago, and all of the visits they've had in the clinic since they were diagnosed, they haven't heard it.
0: Mm. it. Sounds like such a fascinating internal dynamic. So like they might be feeling sorry for themselves. Like I have to. I have this horrible protocol that I have to keep doing. I've you know the needles and all that stuff. And now you're trying to take away the only, you know, the foods that I like or like I'm willing to do all this stuff, but I don't feel capable of changing how I eat. Like when mm-hmm. I look at someone, you know, who walks around with their with their uh, with, with the kit or with the with, like, I'm like, like, that's commitment. Like that's that's hard. Eating eating plants is easy compared to that.
1: Yeah. Like if you're wearing a glucose monitor on your hip or you're taking metformin, you're taking, um, well, maybe you've got a a cocktail of drugs that you need to take for everything that's going on and you don't really understand how each one of those drugs works either. Let's talk about food. The one of those basic human needs, that's definitely affecting our, our, our human bodies, food, air and and, and water. Let's talk about that food and, and what's going on here. And people are very skeptical of talking in such a simple way about how your body really wants to just be simplified. And we can probably work these pills down. We can teach your body to be more metabolically efficient just by using food. Will you please believe me? Mm. (laughs) And I I often, I do see people and I, I say, will you please trust me? And I ask them in absolute sincerity because for years and years and years, they have been packing memes into their into their plan. They're scrolling Instagram. They are motivated by a the the look of a person that's nothing like them to try to mimic a diet that they think is going to work and that has nothing to do with who they are personally as a human being.
0: Mm. And I guess you know the, the the strength of you providing that message is that you've got skin in the game.
1: Yeah. Um, and I am, I am out with it too. I'll tell you, hey, I, I learned the hard way, the absolute hard way, and had to answer my own questions because nobody was going to teach me. At the point that I was at, I, it really it was an awakening that I had that started with the, this this heartfelt feeling about food. And then once that wheel started to roll, I couldn't get off of it. Um, I, I found Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine at some point there when I started school. And started reading their work with people type two. And that's when I realized I am no longer a study of one. There are people type two diabetes, many of them, hundreds, if not thousands of them within studies who are eating low fat diets, lots of plants, and they're getting off their meds.
2: Mm hmm.
1: They're lowering their insulin resistance. So if this works for somebody with type two, wouldn't why wouldn't this work for someone with type one? And the big issue in our our whole world right now at type one with type one diabetes is that our insulin has become completely unaffordable. Mm. Pharmaceutical companies uh,
0: worldwide or just in the US?
1: In the US. Okay. In the US, because I can tell you I bought I bought insulin in Mexico in April for a fraction of what it would cost me through insurance. Um, good insurance even in Minnesota. And our costs vary like crazy across the country as to um, what someone's paying for insulin. We've got caravans going up to to Canada. My folks live in Montana. My dad bought me uh, uh, insulin in Canada uh, a few months ago as well. Um, We're all trying to stockpile what we can to save some money because we don't see this getting better anytime soon. And um, you know the pharmaceutical company and the insurance—they're pointing fingers at each other. It's your fault. It's your fault. Like we're not going to get a, a clear answer here. And I say, well, this is just like what life is like with type one. We have to have smart this process, <laughs> and we can't live without insulin. So what are we going to do? And it may seem a little antagonizing or a little bit controversial, but I say, eat plants, take less insulin. I promise you, this will work, and your bill is going to go down. Mm. So if you're not paying attention to the health of your body, and insulin's becoming unaffordable, there is another plan.
0: So for people who do the keto route, who are, you know, doing, uh, you know, through Verta Health, which is, you know, capitalized like crazy with this, you know, this real estate guy who discovered keto and fell in love. And (laughs) I assume assume people are, people are seeing some positive, type one diabetics are seeing positive results with keto when they start. What you know? So, what's the difference? Do you do you have a sense from from people like what what the different trajectories are? How long it takes for them to realize that this they've been sold a bill of goods?
1: Yeah, you know, I've been fortunate that I was able to to train with uh, with the dietitian that was specializing in epilepsy when I was working at a children's hospital. And I really latched onto it. It was fascinating to read as to how ketogenic came to be, that it's um, designed to change brain chemistry to decrease seizure activity. So um, it's doing something to our brain, and we don't exactly know what it's doing. That is not a, a card that I want to play with
2: hmm. for sure.
1: I am not going to cha- play with my brain chemistry, especially when you read something like uh, the Alzheimer's solution. And you realize that the exact opposite way to preserve your brain is eating like the ketogenic diet recommends. So what's crystal clear about the ketogenic diet is that we now know that it is controlled starvation. Your body is eating its own fat stores. Okay, fantastic. You're losing weight. That's what ketosis does. It works short term, no doubt about it. But how do you feel? How does your gastric system feel? How do you smell? How is your breath? Your body is giving you every single sign it possibly can to tell you, this isn't cool, man. Mm -hmm. I need some nutrition. This isn't working out. I mean, I can adapt if the body is talking. I can adapt because that's what I do. I am metabolically intelligent, but this isn't fun. You're short on B vitamins. You're short on every nutrient that you would get from a plant right now. When's the last time you fed me any fiber? So um, short term we might see that because of weight loss, blood sugars are improving. You need less insulin because you don't have any sugar stores, and that's not a great idea either. Um, our liver needs to have some glucose, and our muscles need to have some glucose, and our brain sure as heck needs to have some glucose. So if you're in ketosis long enough that you have adapted, and some people will say, man, I feel great. Say, well, I'm, I'm very happy that you've lost uh, a, a, some amount of body fat that was a healthy amount of body fat, but... I want you healthy long term. Mm -hmm. Long term is what we're talking about here. And what happens when Christmas comes? What happens when there's a birthday and a graduation and the celebrations that you have been avoiding in order to eat all this fat and oil? Because the second this comes up, you're out of ketosis. You're out like that. You know, don't you ever want to have a beer again? Um, You know, and I'll hear people say, well, one day a week I go out of ketosis and I go right back into it. And then. I can't think of anything worse to do to your body than to biohack in this manner when you don't have to. You don't have mm-hmm. to. And nobody wants to eat this way long term. It's just um, not realistic mm-hmm. to who yeah. we are. <laughs>
0: gotcha. So I want to ask you one more thing. I want to talk to you about pudding. <laughs>
1: <'Cause-> <laughs> oh, no.
0: You have you have strong opinions about pudding, and it, see, it seems to have become like a really big metaphor in your life.
1: <laughs> yes, it has. Um, when I decided, like, I wanted to start writing and talking a little bit more about my experience growing up with with type one, and um, it, it my the memory that stands out to me is a pudding cup. You know, it's like this symbol of everything that was going wrong. It's it's it doesn't have any nutrition in it. It's just a symbol of Eat this. Don't ask why.
0: And this was like in the hospital.
1: <laughs> and it was in the hospital. It was pudding was on the menu. I remember ordering a whole bunch of it. It's just this um, nutrient poor sludge, and it's sweet, and you want to eat it, and it's just milk fat and and sugar. And that was like on my diet plan as a kid. What type one? Mm. And vanilla wafers were on that diet plan, and. Um, these were supposedly the healthy carbohydrates that I should be eating along with a whole bunch of milk and, um, make sure I get my servings of milk. Cause I'm a kid and I need that for my bones. now, don't I?
0: Right. And you're, and you're in the Midwest
1: and I'm in the Midwest and I'm in the Midwest, but, um, yes, I pudding is, I can't even look at it. It's just, it reminds me of being a kid admitted in the hospital with this IV in my hand that hurt for years and, it's as I've written about it on my website, that was the first thing I really wrote about is just like this symbol of everything that went wrong. Um, I, yes, I, if, if anyone was, was going to um, say, Hey, or have some pudding, I'm going to have these flashbacks like crazy of Hmm. moments of being an overweight teenager that was having terrible blood sugar control and and leg cramps and everything going on that was wrong because I didn't know how to, how to eat.
0: Hmm. Gotcha. So, so now as a, as a pudding free adult, what what is what is your health like? What's your energy like? What are you up to? <sighs>
1: um, yeah, my energy is, um, gosh, I feel like I would need someone someone to take my that takes my my indoor cycling classes to explain what that's like. Um, <laughs> I pro, I do too much at times, but I have a very inquisitive mind, and I, I uh, the world of nutrition is something that everybody needs to know how to interpret. Um, for their own, their own health. And so for me, um, I am my own patient and I got to be as healthy as I possibly can so that I'm a good example. That's been something that's always motivated me that I want to be able to talk the talk. Um, I'm not a competitive athlete because that's, I'm an ugly com- competitive person. I should never compete in <laughs> anything ever. Um, cause I get fired up, but that's why I teach spin classes. And, um, I, um, have been completely plant-based. I haven't touched dairy in a very long time as well. Um, I don't really think I've aged, quite honestly. <laughs> I mean, yes, I have. But um, physically, I've never felt better. You know, when your you're, people say, oh, I was so healthy when I was 18. I wasn't. I was un, so unhealthy from the ages of pretty much 18 to 24 years old. And I had been prior to that as a teenager. I just didn't know what healthy felt like. So, it's, it's pretty much a miracle to, to realize that you never knew what healthy felt like until you made the choice to eat your way healthy. I didn't pill my way healthy. I didn't fad my way healthy. I have never done anything like a crash diet. I've never done anything that was depriving whatsoever. Um, certainly, I'm not um, eating a bunch of plant based ice cream and um, plant based. Uh, junk food, because of course that exists and um, learning how to eat is what has completely like opened my world to all these things that I'm capable of doing. And so now I'm really in this pay it forward position to, to teach people that uh, a diagnosis um, can kind of be that blessing in disguise. Hey, it's time to get better at this. It's time to like live fully and be awesome and go forward in the world and kick some ass. Let's not be sad about um, this diagnosis. And that was, I, my attitude changed, my food changed. And today, it's, it, now it's just maintain and, and see what you can do tomorrow. I guess that's, that's the fun part about feeling good.
0: <laughs> Beautiful, and, uh, and folks who um, participate in the Well Start Health Program are going to have the benefit. I assume you, you work with people, not just type one diabetics, but humans.
1: Yes, humans. Any human. Right. Any human it's
0: the same diet, right? Type one diabetes. <laughs> yeah. Human. We should be eating the same thing.
1: It, it very much is. It's. It's. You know. It's the same. The same categories of foods, and then you have tons and tons of options from there. All of these beautiful plant foods, eating tons of color. Um, it's, it's. It could be more fun than that. Like let's make food fun again. At the same time.
0: Hmm. Cool. And if people want to read more about you and maybe work with you, do you do, you uh, you know, distance stuff?
1: Yeah, I can do. I meet people here in the Twin Cities area all the time. Uh, Most people that find me through some of the presentations I've given uh, with the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Um, And also, if you are someone who um, has access to the JDRF within your city, ask them to have the exercise presentation done at your JDRF Type One Nation Summit. That's where I've spoken in years past, and I'm more than happy to go anywhere to give this exercise presentation that I've mm-hmm. done. And then um, through my website, you can just send me an email and uh, I, I will figure out how we can work together. There is no um, no.
0: <laughs> okay. So, your website again, what you say at this time?
1: LP. So, my, my, my initials dot lpnutritionconsulting.com.
0: Okay, great. And the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, is that what, JDRF.org?
1: Yes. Okay, so
0: I'll include this in the show notes. Okay. And I'm really excited to be working with you and so thankful that you are on this journey and you have so much energy and positivity to share with everyone.
1: Thank you, Howard. Yeah, this is super fun. I hope to um, meet more of our Well Start folks soon enough on these calls and um, get to hear more about their stories, too.
0: Yep, they'll, they'll, they'll be lucky to get to know you.
1: Yay, this Saturday.
0: <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Lauren. It's great talking to you.
1: You as well. See you soon.
0: All right. I hope you really enjoyed that episode of the Plant Yourself podcast. If you want to check out the show notes and look at the links and read a little bit more about Lauren, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash 332, which means that there's over 300 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com for you to peruse if you're new to the show and you're curious about who else we've been talking to. If you like this episode and you'd like to support our mission, easiest thing to do is to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, if you would like to support this podcast as a patron, remember that the podcast is free to everyone and it's supported by those who can afford it. Um, you can do that at Patreon. Just go to patreon.com and look for Plant Yourself. And even $1 a month, it sends a message, it helps uh, other people find out about it. And it lets me know that you value and care about this message and you're, you're shoulder to shoulder, right? Because I'm still, I'm close to 50% uh, subsidized by listeners, but uh, I'm still paying the lion's share of this podcast for myself. And as you may have noticed, I don't accept any advertising. The only advertising I do is for a healthy lifestyle and for my company, Well Start Health, to uh, provide support and guidance to people who want to make the transition to a healthy plant-based life. Um, Okay, well, so garden news. Uh, I'm looking at the rain right now. After a couple of weeks of uh, hot and dry in the 90s, uh, we got gotten some beautiful rain last night. It's raining right now. And so I'm looking forward to the final picking of plump blueberries. They've been starting to look like like raisins on the vine. But I think this rain is going to bring them up. And we'll also be good timing for the grapes to, uh, to get some plumping before we start picking them in September. And of course, there's all the usual suspects, eggplant, tomatoes, uh zucchini squash weird squash that looks like I can't even tell if it's a uh, summer or winter oh and the most exciting thing is mia harvested like 20 butternut squash from a from a, a plant that we did not plant i think we tried to grow butternut squash like 2 years ago so i have no idea how that seed got there but it was kind of hiding in a bunch of herbs and beans and then You know how squash has these big leaves and the fruits are really shy. We just found these beautiful butternut squash. First time we've ever been able to grow them. So really thankful for those, putting them, curing them and going to have them in the fall and maybe some of even last through the winter. In running news, 23 miles this week. Woohoo! The heel is healing. Thank you so much, uh, Darcy Bryant and Carly Essay, for uh, guiding the to the, uh, the thing that's working, these um, toe raises. I'm now wearing a, like a 60-pound weighted backpack, doing this every other day, combining it with pro ProStretch. Um, I know everyone's got their plantar fasciitis story of what helped them heal and uh, take them all with a grain of salt, but I can tell you this has been working for me. All right. Thanks. Thanks to Will Reidenauer for this beautiful music, Sabali Don, the Dance of Peace. Check out WillRidenhour for more of his gorgeous South, Af- South African, West African, Kora music. I'm thinking South African because one of our favorite musicians died this week, last last Tuesday. Johnny Clegg, the um, South African known as the White Zulu, um, in the in the '80s was playing an integrated. Bands when it was illegal, when he was getting thrown in jail for it and has been a fierce advocate for racial justice and equality in South Africa. Um, He had a band called Jaluka, a band called Savuka. Uh, My wife and I have seen him perform live three times. Such energy and heart. He was an anthropologist. Um, I don't have the, the rights to his music. But if you go look up Johnny Clegg, J-O-H-N-N-Y-C-L-E-G-G and just find find one of his pieces on YouTube and, and listen to it and watch him dance, um, you will you will be uplifted. All right. And of course, thank you to all you Plant Yourself podcast patrons as in... <laughs> Kim Harrison, Lynn McLaughlin, Anthony Distant, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mayer, Barbara Winty, Tammy Black, Amy Goodman, Heather Lee, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennedy, Mr. Cobr, Rachel Barnes, Christine Neal, Tina Sharp, Tina, Heron, Jennifer Nafsi, David Bicek, The Mysterious Michelle X. Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolmanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Collin Pack, Michelle Arndt, Josie, Josie Julian Roland Sudol, Sarah Durkerson, The Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wendy Peterson, Leigh Anderson, Janet Stelby, Claire Adams, Tom Francis, Janet Ben Miguel, David Donoghue, Blair Syrard, Doreen Diaz, I was here on Caroline Lodge, Natalie Judy, Friesen, Deruclin, Fromberg, Michelle Rosen, Michael Rack, The Equal, The Mysterious Daisy Zee, Liston, Rebecca Hughes. Valtzen Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon. Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Amman, Nolly Levine, The Inscrutable Harry R. Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Golubic, Adam Sharp, Karen Berry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, and Kelly Machia. Diane Norton, Bonnie, Alicia Plant, Happy Organs, Sabina Kersels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Coble, Shell Root, Liz Julian Watkins, Brio, Colin, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rosland, Ayat Julie Lang, Home Heather Gardi, Susan Connie Hayline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Vivilla L. Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Chao Sherry, Ola Kaskie, Power for Health, Karen Smits, Cameran, Karen, Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby, Rodney, Teresa Kelte, Kevin McCall, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle. Dan Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine David Joshua Sommermeyer Dennis Bird Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny Lenny Alekos Valerie Hummel, David Emily Canelli Levi Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan McCorney Stephen Lean, Patty Motino, Mike and Donna Cartsey, M. Bishop, Elf, Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Moulton, Trisha Adams, Enoch Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bajor, Gunmarine Hagen, Tracy College, Leslie Laura Hayden, Meg Ramama Omisez, Rochelle Kennedy, Joan Borstein, and Diana Goldman for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends So if you appreciate the Plant Yourself podcast and would like to help support the mission of the show, there's a few easy ways to do it. One is to just go to wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Let other people know about it. Give us some stars. Give us some love. And that really helps us be found by more people. Something else, of course, you can do is let someone know about this podcast. Someone... Uh, who you think would benefit. Send them maybe a couple of episodes that you think would uh, pique their interest or just uh, ask them to subscribe in general. And third, you can join ARMS and become a patron, a financial supporter of this show. You may have noticed that there's no advertising in the show and it's free for everyone and it's supported, paid for by those who can afford it. So if you would like to make a one-time contribution or an ongoing monthly pledge, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash gift. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Heatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filikonofsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colin Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Kara Adams, Swam Franz, Jeanette Benham, Gail Assert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Torona Viso, Gio and Carol Argetati, Jody Friesner, with Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harpers, and Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda and Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Dian Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Fred O'Connell, Channel Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Colm Hedegaard, Isa Tuziwakani, Heinlein, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis... Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olikoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Liz Rothschild, and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divitt, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Linane Lundquist, Valerie Humble, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamond McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Leinen. Petty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Carson, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Basher, Gun Marie Hagen, Tracy Gullich, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parm Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Turville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olivia Siddharoska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught, Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends.